Hi, Georgie. Welcome to my first podcast, video podcast, which I organized. Usually uh, I get invited, but I thought it's very important to have you on board. And uh, for the people who don't know you, uh, Georgie Smallwood is one of the women, tech women in Europe, you have to know. And Sifted brought just an article out, Sifted belongs to the Financial Times. And in your role as uh, the CPO, Chief Product Officer for Number 26, which for the people who don't know, most people will know, but is one of the leading challenger banks in the world, which has Peter Thiel, uh, Tencent as investors, and they're doing a fantastic job. And, uh, and it's, it's amazing that uh, they also believe in women. Obviously, they do. And <laughs> I love to see that more. And that's why I thought... I wanted to have you on my first video podcast. Oh, thanks, Viros. It's um, I'm honoured that you've picked me for your inaugural podcast. It's exciting. Yes. Um, so, you know, tell me a little bit about uh, where you're based, by the way, now. I'm in Berlin. In fact, I you'll know probably, it, <laughs> you'll, probably you'll probably hear the Berlin uh, sirens go past as we as we have this interview. Um, but no, we're headquartered in in Berlin uh, N26, and we have offices all around the world. We have product and tech hubs in Barcelona, New York, and Vienna. Small one in Vienna too. Mm -hmm. uh, but most of the executives sit in Berlin and has historically been kind of raised. We're only about five and a half years old, so. We're raising the child in Berlin. Oh, perfect. Uh, you know, it's five years old or five and a half, whatever. It's, it's amazing eh? what things, how fast things can grow. Where were you before? I mean, before you joined number 26, you know, in your uh, role. I'm going to talk about your role as well, but I just <laughs> wanted to, you know. Yeah, I mean, my journey's been a, a windy one. I think uh, it's pretty clear. I'm a, I'm an Australian native, uh, born and bred in Melbourne, and uh, I've lived all over the world. So I've lived in Hong Kong. I've lived in Germany before. Not something I ever thought I would do is live in Germany twice. Uh, but I've been fortunate enough to be a part of some amazing companies and incredible teams. So I I kind of started my digital career in Melbourne. When I was working in magazines or mm -hmm. uh, news magazines, the News Limited arm of their magazine, or the magazine arm, and uh, we were—I was a coordinator. We were giving digital campaigns away as added value every time we would sell a double-page spread in a magazine, mm -hmm. and I was responsible for pulling together the production of that. And I kind of got the bug of digital there about how you could tell stories and you could take people on a journey. Um, with advertising, you have a clear goal. You need to you know, get them to sign up or fill something in or buy something. And so you create the narrative and the story to end up at that point. And you need to know your customers and, and what they want because of that. And I was really fortunate enough to then be uh, in a company called realestate.com.au. And that was really where I got the, the bug. The big bug, which the is big the, bug, yeah. the big bug, which is the crazy hyper growth, uh, get it done, know your customer, build things on the fly attitude. And, and we grew rapidly uh, as a property portal and we had property portals all over the world. I was fortunate enough to also go with them to Hong Kong, where we set up the Chinese arm and ran mm -hmm. the business, which was really cool. 
And uh, after five years in Australia building teams there, I, I was full of 27-year-old ego and confidence going into Hong Kong only to realise that, oh, this doesn't quite work exactly the same way as team building in Australia. So I learned a very quick and hard lesson that you can't expect people to react the same way depending on their culture or depending on where they grew up and, and what it is that drives them. You really need to understand your team members. Yeah, so, that's a very good point. I mean, since uh, number 26 is expanding globally, I mean, uh, you know, a huge presence in Europe and uh, going to America and South America. So, and I think uh, your experience uh, working in environments that are not all the same culture-wise, I mean, work mentality and, and, and also consumers. And anyway, that's, uh, that's probably likely an advantage in your job. Yeah, I think you, you learn that while the outcome might be similar that you're looking for, the path that you need to take to get there can be completely different. Uh, and having worked in Hong Kong, where it's a, a quite homogenized environment, but from a Chinese mm -hmm. culture perspective and a Cantonese culture, uh, to uh, I worked in, in Germany for, with an IPO on Scout24, which was a very German company. So, again, yeah, another success, very successful one. Uh, yeah, and it was an incredible opportunity to work with, you know, almost 3,000 Germans to IPO this company that had been around for 20 years. Uh, and 26 is a whole nother thing because we have over 80 nationalities in our company and we're trying to serve globally consumers. So you need to take all of that into account. It's a big melting pot. You know, I, I know um, Valentin, I met him many times in Rome on, on, on panels who were together. Maximilian, I don't know yet, but, uh, and I know their vision and their growth as much as it is public, obviously. Uh, what's your role in terms of, uh, you know, how would you describe your role? Uh, I would like to give an example. I mean, the Apple example, you know, you have Jonathan Ive, who does the, uh, who used to, not anymore, of course, do all the design of the iPods, computers, MacBooks, etc. Then you had Steve Jobs when he was alive, with his vision, strategy, and then you had Tim Cook, who, who now a CEO, but before, made sure that things work. The vision uh, gets traction on the road, you know, like production and production distribution, etc. So those three people I mentioned, all guys, I'm afraid they didn't have the vision to have a great woman like you, which I think will be so essential. We're going to talk about it later. Uh, what, how would you identify your role at number 26? Wow, being asked to compare myself to some of the three greats of, of product. Um, I, I like to think I have a, a dash of Johnny Ives, but I certainly can't claim to be the design visionary. Mm -hmm. I, I work with amazing designers and they mm -hmm. certainly provide a, a, a passion and a, and a viewpoint that is, is not something that naturally comes to me. I think if I was anyone, I'd be Tim Cook. All right. That's Why? Because... People with vision and people who want to push the boundaries and change the way that people think about things, people like Max and Valentin, 
They also need people around them that can build teams that have the capability and organisations that have the capacity to keep up, uh, to push back when necessary, but Mm -hmm. also to deliver more than anyone has ever delivered before. And that might not mean shipping more, but what you do take to your consumers is something that they, they haven't experienced. And you can't do it all the time, but I'm here to build an organization that has the capability that can do that. And, and you know, it, it, it's like a football team. It takes a lot of t- different talents. And I mean, uh, the more you do your work well, the easier it is for Valentin and Maximilian to do their work well, which is uh, uh, being the face of the brand, being a, the visionary, think about strategy, because that's, that's also, I mean, that's so important. It takes different qualities to make uh, to make a company successful, and uh, you know. But uh, it's a huge responsibility you have. How do you think, um, for what you may say, uh, will differentiate Number Twenty Six from their competitors? You know, can you talk about this? Because as much as you can, because we all understand we're in the business. There's some secrets not supposed to go out, but some things may be already out. and which you think are special? I think what's interesting about the financial digital space at the moment is that there are many people starting, right, and starting things and really fintech has just exploded over the last three years. And there are many different ways that you can tackle that. You can tackle that from a payments perspective, from a point of sale perspective. It's an enormous market. And we have lots of competitors from a public perspective yes. perspective that maybe aren't actually competitors, right? Because there is a lot of space. I think our biggest competitors are traditional banks where the majority of the population of the world are banking at the moment. And there is a lot more space on the other side for the neos or the digital banks or the fintechs to really show people what they can do differently. I think from our perspective, we are looking to create the best everyday banking experience in the world. And by everyday banking, I mean the stuff that you do every day, the the payments that you make when you go to the coffee shop, the bills that you pay, the transfers that you make, the people that are important to get money to. And those are things that we're very focused on. And we've had them as kind of what I call first value for a long time. So you can create easy cardless payments we've had for a year, right? Apple Pay we've had rolled out in all markets for a while now. Uh, and so we were at the edge of those things. And that is the transaction, right? And we're able to send a push notification so you can stay in control of your finances. We provide spaces which allow you to organize. The next phase is really creating secondary value, what I like to call secondary value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is what else do you get? Right. And and I think traditional banks have had this in things like mortgage rates and savings products. And we will look to go to some of those places, but we want to go there with the requirements of what people have in the future, not people that had in the past. So flexibility is really, really important with these things, but also rewards. So when we went to America, mm-hmm. one of the things that, you know, looking at that market and being in 25 markets globally most in Europe, there are a lot of similarities across European markets. But the US is completely different. So from obsessed from a credit perspective, uh, rewards are a high attractiveness to mm-hmm. different cards. 
uh, and metal cards have been around for a little while now over there. So if you go into a university, like a lot of kids have metal cards um, with incredibly high interest rates and great rewards. And so taking some of the things that we're learning about crafting our USP in the States and bringing those back to Europe uh, is also really exciting. So and vice versa, you... I think. You know Absolutely. I mean? As much as uh, different markets have different needs and demands, doesn't mean that they will not respond to certain things that they don't know and vice Absolutely. versa. And that's why global banking can be a thing because while the, the market might be slightly different in how you deliver kind of value and functionality, what people want is the same because finance is, is emotional. There's nothing like interest rates are things that we created and, and, you know, how many bips you get on an interchange rate and all of that. But actually from a consumer perspective, an everyday consumer perspective, it's what options do I have in my life? And that's it. You know, uh, is there something uh, that, uh, you know, I don't see as many women as I would love to see in such important roles as yours, which is, is amazing. You know, I mean, they are, thank God, but they're not enough. Uh, is there something you would like to, you know, maybe you get asked often, what advice would you give someone to, you know, to to achieve? I mean, this is just a step for you. I mean, it's. It, I mean, there's. Yeah, you have still a very bright future ahead of you, and but to achieve where you are, it's extremely, extremely difficult. You know, uh, what advice would you give? You know, to girls, women who, you know, who who seeing you, hearing you. Stop believing it's possible. You may do one of them, but you're at least one of them that helps them uh, believing, yes, we it's can an get to the top. It's, an, it's, a, it's, it's an easy question to answer and a hard question to answer because so many things have gone into getting me where I am. Uh, a, a lot, lot of hard work, many tears. <laughs> um, a lot of support from men and women uh, who I've Good worked point. with. Um, I've, ha I've been very fortunate to work with some incredible men who've done everything that they can to support me and push me out of my comfort zone. I have pivotal moments in my mind where I think, gosh, if that didn't happen, I, I'm not sure where I would have forked. Uh, I also have, have an incredibly supportive husband. Uh, which don't underestimate the power of having that support when you come yes. home. That goes for men as well. Uh, Absolutely. The, the saying used to be, you know, behind every great man is a great woman. Behind every great person is another great person. No Absolutely, one can do no this. matter what. You know, no one can do this by themselves. It's not possible. It's not possible. Um, but I think if I could, it, it, speaking, maybe speaking to myself, uh, or speaking to other women who want to do something and are very passionate about it, I think don't stop when it gets scary. That's the, that's the hard part because a lot of the time we're pushing against behaviours which have been surrounding us since we were children, right? Be nice, be polite, be humble, be respectful. Mm -hmm. 
these are all really, really important things, but we need to tweak them a little bit. And it's very Good difficult point. to constantly challenge your own kind of train of thought to think, okay, be nice. How about just be kind and be fair and be strong? Because those are things that I can get behind and, and are personal lines that I won't cross. Um, and they allow me to be whoever I want to be. So it's I beautiful. think... Beautiful said. Yeah, really beautiful said. I mean, it resonates. I mean, it's like a guideline. It's really scary. It's really scary. And that's the time where you just need to keep putting one foot in front of the other. If you're sure that this is what you want to do and you've got the right people around you uh, and you want to keep going, then you need to be prepared to keep walking through that dark bit. What are you looking for when you uh, put the team together, you know? And high or whatever. I mean, one or the other. But I guess you have a lot of people at hand you can draw from. But Yeah, but I didn't to start with. When I started in 26, we had 10 or 11 product owners. Um, And looking at the aspirations that I joined the company for, we needed to have a very, very strong product organization. And that was the the thing that I focused on for the first year and a half of my Mm -hmm. time here which was how do I build the capability that even has the possibility of delivering on the crazy ambition of these guys? Uh, and that was what got me really excited. And when I start to build teams, I think about what are the skills that you need in that team? Understanding that no one is a unicorn. You can't get everything from everyone. Mm-hmm. But we really needed incredible understanding of user experiences and customer journeys but we needed people that could do that within a regulated environment. So people that really kind of got a kick out of constraints um, and thought, right, okay, there's a, there's a wall there. How do I get around that wall or how do I build to, to take that into account? Um, and we also needed banking experience because we've grown to an almost 6 million user bank in five and a half years. And I mean- it's huge. It's huge, huge. Yeah. And you need to identify as a bank. Uh, and that was one of the things that the executive team was very passionate about it, passionate about over the last year and a half was bringing the identity of being a bank into the organisation so that people understood that while we wanted the, the glory and the growth and the, um, the smoothness and simplicity of the Netflixes and the TikToks virality and, you know, Instagrams, Mm -hmm. instant liking. We also had a responsibility because people weren't giving us their playlist. They were giving us their savings. Yeah. And Uh, you've made some really fantastic statements like this, you know, they can give us a playlist to give us the savings, their savings. Beautifully said. It was like to the point, you know, it's fair. It, it shows also the challenge, you know, just, it's not just user experience. There's a lot of responsibility. I mean, if, if my playlist doesn't play, it can happen for whatever reason. All right. Uh, it forces me actually to look for a new playlists or new artists, which is actually uh, the, the misfunction of, uh, of one of the Spotify. It forces me to, to do something creative again. But in your case, there's no excuse for misfunctions, you know, there's no room for error. 
and when when my playlist doesn't when my playlist doesn't start you know like you said you go and you go and find another playlist and maybe you stumble across something that you didn't see before whereas if my transfer fails to pay my rent I am on the phone to customer support quick smart Um, or I'm on the chat bot or I'm wanting to understand intrinsically through the UX what happened and and how do I fix this? Uh, It's a completely different mindset, but it's also important because consumers don't realise that they do this as well. So we've all been trained to understand instantaneous everything uh, and social media has taught us this, right? Yes, but we don't necessarily, and we, and we say that we want those things from every experience that we have, but we actually get quite uncomfortable when things happen too fast with certain things. Uh, so you need to really understand the psychology of users with banking as well, because you don't, but if you want to push them to the point where they think this is really cool, this is as cool as the new app that they downloaded then you really need to understand where's the safety point. So yes. it might be that they they want it, they want login to be instantaneous, but then when it happens, they're like, well, that can't be secure. Uh, so you need to then build in the psych- psychological safety into the consumer journey so that they're like, hmm, that was instant, but not instant to the yes. point where it's not secure. Very, very good. I mean, uh, you're telling us uh, some insights that people don't think about it, but when they hear from you, uh, you know, from you now, it makes so much sense. I mean, I haven't even thought about it. I'm not, not that I'm the measure of it, but I'm just honestly, you don't think about certain things, which is, you know, that's what user experience is. You know, it's not only logging quickly, but also having a good feel about it. You know, that yeah. it's in this case that it's safe, etc. You know, how do you come up? I mean, uh, you know, as you told me before, when we met in London, uh, you know, you have two charismatic leaders, you know, Valentin and Maximilian. And uh, when they come up with great ideas, I mean, it's one thing to have a great idea. Uh, what's the process in it? We can't go. I mean, this could be a, a podcast in itself. But how do you challenge yourself? All you know, what's possible, what's feasible, uh, uh, or you know, how is it tested? Yeah. But in a nutshell, I mean, yeah. more than a nutshell, but uh, you know. Yeah. I mean. Well, I mean, when I when I took the job, I knew I was coming into a founder-led startup, right? Mm-hmm. It, uh, it was a large startup, uh, but it was still operating in that way. And they knew that too. Uh, but one of the reasons I joined was they also realized that that didn't scale. And, and there is lots of things that you need to keep when you're making the transition from a, a, a startup, which has a very, very strong founder, to a scale up, which still has a very, very strong founder. Uh, but you need to be able to scale that ability to deliver throughout mm-hmm. the organization. And so the way this is where more like Tim Cook, the operating model that you use needs to change slightly, but the information that flows through the operating model is probably not going to change as fast. So with working with Valentin, he and I work very, very closely together. And a lot of the things we have planned in advance. So there might be tweaks and there might be shadow boxes on info cards that, uh, you know, could be, 
uh, two pixels heavier. Sure. But also when you're pushing the boundaries as far as pioneering in the industry of banking, you're also not going to get there all the time purely on data-driven decisions, um, which is the baseline of how we make decisions. Mm -hmm. But there has to be an element of gut in there. And that gut often comes from Valentin. It also often comes from us and my team and, and the product managers within that. Sometimes it comes from engineering. Sometimes it comes from marketing. Um, but you need to be prepared to go sometimes on a little bit of gut uh, because otherwise you'll just maintain a commoditized product that everyone yes. can build all the time. And, and uh, you get it, it wrong. Sometimes you'll be wrong. No, I mean, number 26 made some mistakes uh, along the way, but I want to say is uh, thank God they made them because if they didn't make them, it would not grow as fast and as successfully. I mean, startups that don't make mistakes, basically, they don't drive fast enough. They don't push hard enough. So basically, I, when I say startup like Zoom with its privacy issues, all right, they fixed it uh, and keep fixing it, but they grow. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to point the finger at mistakes, but I think uh, number 26, as I said, like every startup makes mistakes, but uh, they corrected them and they, and there was a reason why they made a mistake because they risked something and they yeah. made a quick decision. They took responsibility. And I must say those founders, uh, I mean, and I see the two founders as as the ones who make those decisions, but without the great support, uh, you know, all this, it's just an idea. And, uh, I think the important bit is you need to know why you made the decisions uh, and also it helps to document them so you can go back and, and look at them. But if you know why you made the decision and then in hindsight you look back and you think, okay, maybe we should have done, gone a different way, but also that's probably because you have more knowledge or more understanding yes. at this point in time. So you can only play the cards as you get them. And I think that that is also a part of part of this bug. <laughs> um, and, and this is also what I mean by, you know, it is scary. And sometimes you'll be at a, a, a fork where you need to make a decision one way or the other and you need to pick one because speed is also essential in this game. Absolutely, absolutely. But, so, you, but Dom, Dom Price uh, from Atlassian, I heard speak many years ago and he said something that stuck with me, which is decide if this is a one-way door or a two-way door. If it's a two-way door and you can come back through the door, make the decision. Just keep going. Uh, if it's a one-way door, maybe pause for a second <laughs> and check your data a second time because if you go through that door, you're not coming back. Yes, uh, that's actually good advice yeah. you know, to, to live by as much as we can. But uh, this is a guideline. So is there something, um, you know, uh, we talked about uh, your, your, you know, your team uh, building the process, etc. Uh, you know, Corona, I mean, since we're going to, this uh, Corona is going to stay around and we're going to take it away from Corona. But about crisis, which uh, uh, has an effect on people, has an effect on uh, the workplace, so the Twitter, everybody uh, works now from home and will keep work from home. And uh, sometimes you have to reduce staff, etc. But uh, is there something in this two months, we are actually even more in the crisis, that 
you think number 26 learned from? I mean, that's a new experience the way we have it. You know, is it something, uh, you know? I think as, as an organization, we weren't incredibly flexible uh, with ways like with working from home or working remotely. I think whether we should have needed it or not, uh, what this has shown is that we are just as effective, if not more effective, when we are not in the office. Uh, and I think that there's been different phases of that through coronavirus. I think me personally, I, the first eight weeks, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm the leader. I, I will be the stable, the calm through the storm. Mm -hmm. And at, at the eight-week mark, I realised, I think what well, I had realised before, but my body realised that this was going to go for a long time and this was not a sustainable position to hold. <laughs> and I needed to think about how I could do this more long-term. As you can see, I'm in the office today. This is the... Yeah, I see that. The first time back in the office, um, but already I've had, you know, I've only got a couple of my team here today because we're trying to keep the social distancing and we've got yes. a return to work program. But I am a very people person and, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of power in that face-to-face, -face, uh, which I've been missing. I didn't realise quite how much I'd been missing it until I got to sit down and, and just have a longer chat, which is seems to be very difficult on on video so yes, if anyone absolutely. has has any any advice on how to chat on on video and have that that personal kind of empathy connection with people at the deep level then i'm please put some comments below the video i would love to hear them <laughs> yes but you know it, uh, i mean um, i think uh, any crisis will survive and uh, number 26 will be clearly a survivor you just raised another funding uh, you will uh, i'm quite certain you will be one of those players that uh, will define this fintech area uh, already did but continue i think this crisis uh, shapes uh, shapes the organization in a good way because it becomes more flexible new ideas are allowed to prosper and and people are understanding that they are capable of doing even more, you know, even with those restrictions. As much as we like to be close to people, me as much as well, but uh, we learn to do to deal with the situation. Yeah, we're we're amazing beings in that we we have the capacity to adjust. Um I think we just need to listen to each other and and make sure that we're there for each other right no no person is an island right you, yes. it's, you we may think that we can do things by ourselves but we can't and so as long as we're reaching out to the people close to us we can, and trusting that they can reach out to us uh, then we can maintain an equilibrium that can that can help us to adjust as well you know that's a nice what you said because uh uh, empathy it's very important in our organization and uh, you were saying it in your important position that i think that's uh, it's very comforting i think people want to associate with companies like number 26 with people like you uh, when you hear uh, the way you talked and uh, now through our podcast it had a lot of empathy and i think that's very key because we want to bank with banks that not only we can rely on, but also somehow uh, have empathy somehow as much as business allows. And that's already the key part of the trust. It, it's the key part of trust. 
right? Is that and that and I've I've done a lot of talks on how we build trust into our design and our experiences. And there are a couple of elements of that. And one of the big ones is is self-orientation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how you can get around, but there's credibility, reliability, and intimacy. And empathy comes into the empathy into the um, intimacy part, and it's really a, a feeling that people get. And brands, you know, do a lot of things to show that they have this, but it also matters what the leaders think. And you know, that's why this podcast, I think, uh, it was so important. It was important for me, and uh, I think it's a, it's a very positive sign. Uh, I think it's, it's going to be positive for number 26. It just uh, emphasizes what you guys try to live day by day. We try. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for having the time, uh, Georgie, uh, the Chief Product Officer of number 26. And uh, I hope uh, we meet soon again in person and that would be great fantastic to have me on my first podcast video podcast and to have one of those women leaders uh i love it uh, i must just say it i love it because i i people know i support women cause because i also support me it's it's just so important diversity is important uh gender diversity racial diversity it's just we think differently but together that's the power absolutely is there something you would like to say before we finish? No, just um, just thank you very much for having me. I think that it is really important that different leaders' voices get out there and understanding there's a lot of narrative around female leaders and uh, women in tech, which I think is fantastic. But also it's not just about the numbers, it's also about hearing from us and what is it about having women in leadership positions or diverse backgrounds in leadership positions that actually creates better commercial outcomes? And and hearing from us and understanding that empathy is important and trust is important, but it's important also in the world of business because it gets better outcomes and it means that you can access more users and it means that you can show and prove more value in your product. Uh, It's important to hear from us all. So thank you very much for inviting me. A beautiful set. Thank you, Georgie. Till next time. Bye-bye. See you, Spiros. Conversation with Spiros McGarris.